Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. I love understanding that we are some we are a part of something that's bigger than us. We are a part of something that's bigger even than what's going on in this room. Um, or even in this age. So we are a part of something that since Jesus rose from the grave, he started a new life that has continued to grow and grow and grow, and we get to come into that, and it's still moving, and it's still expanding today through Converge, through any number of movements. And this morning, we get an opportunity to hear from uh, a couple who is about to dive into a 20-year project. So Kyle and Emily, I met them a couple months ago. The first time they showed up at DR, they said, how can we help? How can we, uh, how can we plug in? We want this to be our church. And they helped us move um, and start um, loading chairs out of the old building to get ready. They have, uh, they have, they've dove in here. They call this their home. And um, in November, in November, they're launching... Um, and their goal is to make it to a tiny little island and a tiny little village that don't speak our language, um, that they'll have to learn and invest in. And hopefully over the course of 20 years, they get to know them, they get to translate the language um, and share the gospel and, it, and the movement grows. So I'm so excited for Kyle and Emily to be able to come and share with you. Would you give them uh, just kind of a warm Damascus Road um, welcome here? Thank you so much. You guys hear me okay? Yeah, we are just thrilled to be part of you guys. Uh, We do call us our home here in Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin. I grew up uh, in Waukesha, near Milwaukee. And uh, Emily and I, we are church planners with New Tribes Mission. And like you said, we are preparing to move to a tiny little island with a tiny little group of people in the middle of nowhere in the jungle. We're getting on a plane next month with one-way tickets to move there. Not just like a short-term trip, but we're going there to live with them to learn their language. Um, So like I said, I'm from Waukesha. I went to high school here in Wisconsin, went directly into UW-La Crosse. I was there for a year. During that year, I had a complete life change. Decided I want to learn more about who God is and what he says. So I dove all in. Like he says, I dive headfirst into things and I went to Bible school. Transferred colleges, went to Bible college in Southern California. And that's where I met my wife. Hi guys, I'm Emily. Um, Like Kyle said, we met in Southern California at a Bible school. I'm from California. Um, My dad was a church planter while I was growing up, and so I was very familiar with the idea of missions. Um, But we actually met in a missions class at that school, and the teacher there used his time as a missionary in a small remote jungle tribe like we're going to as the framework for our class. And he... um, for the first time for both Kyle and I, really brought to light the fact that there are still people groups left in the world that have never heard the gospel, and without anyone going to them, we'll never hear the gospel. And so we were really challenged to make a difference in that, and so that's what we are going to go do. Great, thank you. We have some exciting things to share with you this morning, some things maybe you've never heard before. A couple years ago, I had no idea that remote jungle tribes still existed and that they'd never been reached. That was a new concept to me. Maybe that's a new concept for you. Um, Could you slip to the next slide? So I'm going to share with you a letter that I received from one of my friends who is a church planter in the same region that we're headed to in the jungle. And I get his newsletters, I get his emails, and this is one of the letters that he sent me in an email. 
And I'm just going to read it to you how I got it. It's a bit graphic, but this is what real life is like there. So I'm going to paint you a picture. And this young boy's name is Mokuta. This is how the email goes. It's amazing he's still alive. You can see for yourself the scars in his chest, can't you? They asked me. One of the arrow tips was purposely driven in right at his heart in hopes that he would be killed. It is amazing he's still alive because he shouldn't be. Most of us still wonder if he'll be able to live on because of what has happened to him. They explained this to me as they pointed out the scars on the young boy's chest and back. The boy's name is Mokuta, and he can't be more than 10 years old. It was a revenge killing that was carried out on him. He was out hunting birds with his older brother, but they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Three men from an enemy clan further up in the mountains chased after the boys. His older sibling was able to outrun the men, but Mokuta was only a young boy. His little legs wouldn't carry him fast enough, and the enemies ran him down. The three grown men held the ten-year-old boy down to the ground and stabbed him with their arrows until they thought they'd killed him. They snapped the arrow tips off inside just to be sure. They didn't care he was just a little boy. It was a life for a life. Now the clans would be even, or so the enemies thought as they retreated back up into the mountains. His father found him and was able to remove two of the arrow tips, but the third was too deep. We radioed out to the doctors in town for advice. The doctors gave him just days to live and were concerned about infection. We gave him medicine to prevent infection. Miraculously, Mokuta showed up in our village ten months later. He had survived. He arrived with a group of men who heard that we are teaching from the Creator's book, and they want to know what their Creator has to say. To our surprise, even the chief of that area came down to visit and let us know his intentions of taking some of our teacher trainees back to his village so that his clan can hear the words of their creator for the first time. God is preparing those people to hear his word. He is working in their hearts and giving them a desire to know more about him. Can you just pray with me really quick before we continue on? Lord, thank you so much just for the work you've done here in our lives and the fact that we know you and trust you and you love us. God, please just open up our hearts. Show us just what we can do to make an impact in people's lives, just like Mokuta and his family. Lord, please just be giving us your perspective on how we can be sharing this gospel with others outside of even our country. Amen. Man, that's some heavy stuff. I promise it's going to get better from this point on. That's just like every time I read that story, it gets me. This is a true story. This is an email I received from my friend. This is what really happens out there. I share that with you. Because I often hear in America, well, even myself, it's so easy to think, the lost, nah, they're probably not really lost. The people who live out in these far distant tribes, they live in a jungle paradise. It's easier to think of it that way. Like They don't have the stress of a busy job or cars or the cares of this world. And we would almost maybe rather live how they do. But if you went and asked Mokuta, he's a real 10-year-old boy. He's living in the jungle right now. If you asked him, if he lives in a perfect jungle paradise, untainted by sin, what do you think he would say? Would he agree with that? No way. He would tell you, are you kidding me? Like, why would you ever think that? Like, look at what happened to me in my life. He lives in a world tainted by sin, just like me and you. It's no different. Just because they live in the jungle doesn't mean it's somehow different that way. It's the opposite. He wakes up in the morning, and he looks out into the jungle, and he knows that there are evil spirits out there all around. There's thousands of evil spirits. Everyone in that culture knows about this. Maybe they can't see them, but they all know they're there. And they will tell you that there are no good spirits. There are only evil spirits waiting to jump on them, waiting for them to mess up. They're afraid of witch doctors placing curses on them. This is a day-to-day life for them. 
I took a trip there two years ago to the neighboring tribe to Mokota's village, and the overwhelming response from all the guys there was, before the missionaries came, we lived in fear. Every day we were afraid of the spirits, of the witch doctors, of all of that. And when the missionaries came, that finally changed. Can we go to the next slide? So where in the world are we talking about? Just north of Australia. Let's go to the next slide. We zoom in. So we're going to Asia Pacific. Stretches all the way from the left there, uh, Java, all the way to the east of part of Papua. That's the same island as Papua New Guinea. We're going to the western half of Papua New Guinea. This is the plane that I took to visit one of these tribes who already had missionaries. Uh, there's no roads going into there. There's no trails. No one's ever hiked that far to get into where these people live. They've never hiked out. You can only get there by air. And when Emily and I move in to a brand new tribe who's never had outside contact, can't even take a plane because there's no airstrip ready. So it'll be helicopter access only. That's how remote these people are. And the next slide. This is uh, just an idea of the houses they live in. Thatched roof. Just, they are remote. So, in light of all of that, I stand here as a spokesperson for you guys today. Um, there's a hundred tribes on a waiting list. A hundred tribes, like Mokota's tribe, who they've seen neighboring tribes get this new message. They call it the creator's talk. They catch wind of this new message, and they say, I wonder what this is all about. And they go over and they see the results that happen. Missionaries come into a village, life changed. They're not afraid of the spirits anymore. They can go outside at night. This endless cycle of revenge killing stops. They stop warring with the other neighboring tribes. And all these other tribes say, what was this message you got? We want to hear it. This is appealing. We want to know what this is all about. Just like in the story with Mokota, that chief comes down and he goes, that's the message we're going to hear. I'm taking teachers home with me. You have no choice. We are hearing this message. This is how important it is. We want to hear it. They know their need more than we even think that they need it. They know how lost they are and they're begging. And these neighboring tribes say, please send us this message. But they're not all like the one in the story. All these different tribes speak different languages. They all have a unique independent language that only they speak and it's not even written down. So they come and say, please share us this message. And the missionary is like, I can't because I don't speak your language, but I will send someone to you as soon as I can. You're on a waiting list. We know about you. There's a hundred tribes with different languages on a waiting list now, which is cool because that's our first place we're going to go and we move there. We're going to go to one of these tribes. The bad news is that they've been on this waiting list for decades. There's no one going. And they're thinking... If this message was real, someone would have come to us by now. Who are you people with this message and why aren't you sharing it with us? They're getting frustrated, obviously. It's just, it's heartbreaking at times, but I mean, what do you tell them? Why has no one come to you sooner? All I can tell them is that Emily and I, we are here. I'm sorry it took so long for someone to get to you, but we are here. We're committed to you guys. We're going to live here with you. We're building our house. I'm going to learn your language. I'm going to translate the Bible for you. The creators talk from beginning to end. And we're going to plant a church here and we're going to bring this message finally. That's what Emily and I are all about. We've committed our entire lives to this purpose. And it's a lifetime commitment. I mean, it's five years minimum just to learn their language. And then we got to worry about how do you live in the jungle and all these other things I can talk about later. But this is a big commitment. And this is what Emily and I are doing with our lives. This is what we've set out to do. We just finished five years of training 
five years of training to go on a 15 to 20 year long goal to go out there and reach these people. Don't feel bad for us. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. You have to go live in the jungle. Oh, it's so rough. Oh, this and that. Oh, how do you do it? Please save me the pity. I love what we're doing. I could not be more excited about it. Can you think of a bigger adventure? No way. Like, I love adventure. This is going to be epic. My wife, you can pray for her. She's not quite as adventurous, but we're both on board with this. I'm not dragging her along. She's on board. God made us for this purpose. Emily and I have gifting that is just so clear. This is what God put me on this earth to do. It's been a long chain of events that led me to this drastic change of life. People from Wisconsin don't go and do this kind of thing. It blew my parents' minds when I brought this idea up to them. Pray for them also. Um, (laughs) So I just want to invite you guys. We cannot do this alone. This is a huge, overwhelming task to go and reach one of these tribes. We need your help. Emily and I are going to go and fix this problem. We're going to take one of these tribes off that waiting list. We can't do it alone. We need your help to accomplish this. If I could turn your attention to those cards that were on your chairs when you came in. If you wouldn't mind filling those out, you can put your contact info. And then if you would like to, you can check the first box. And that says, hey, I'd like to stay in touch. Send me your emails. We're going to have internet throughout the whole time. I can explain how that works later. But we are going to be sending out email newsletters every month to keep you guys at the cutting edge of what's happening with first contact and all of it. And then if you'd like, you can check the second box. And that says, hey, I want to take stock in this. I want to put some skin in the game. I want to get invested in making a difference in these people's lives. Contact me about how I can do that. And the biggest need we have right now is our one-time startup expenses, like plane tickets, etc. And then the biggest need is monthly consistent people who jump on board and say, hey, I want to be with you guys through all of this so that when you're out in the jungle and you need to medevac someone on the helicopter or you need to install solar panels or translate the Bible, I want to be there and you know it can be, you know that I'm invested for the long haul. We're looking for people to jump on board. We've been raising support this entire year since January. We're now at 93% of our funding goal. We just need a handful more families. Can you guys be the group that sends us over that 100% mark so that we're fully funded and we can get out there and go and do this thing I'm talking about. When you're finished, you can place the response cards in the basket on your way out on the table by the door. Um, Really quick, can I have my volunteer help me out? And Emily, can you help him? So I've been talking about this list of a hundred tribes on this waiting list. This is a much bigger list. This is 2,000 languages. 2,000 languages. I didn't even know 2,000 languages existed. But these are all the remaining people in the world who have yet to have even a verse of scripture in their language. The people on this list will live and die without ever hearing Jesus' name once. This is single-spaced. It has country, language group, number of people. 200 million people on this list. And the list I'm talking about, the 100 people, the 100 languages, that's just in my region. This is worldwide. I pull this out to tell you guys that when we walk out of here today and you're all excited because Kyle and Emily are going to fulfill the Great Commission, nope, we're taking one of these off the list of 2,000. It's not enough that just Emily and I go. So many more people are needed. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus couldn't be more true. We need so many more people to get that bug and say, I cannot live with this injustice happening. 
I have taken this for granted my whole life, and I'm going to go and bring the gospel to some other people who have never heard it. So I'm going to have this available by our table also when you walk out, if you guys wouldn't mind just kind of dragging it out the door. But uh, just to give you the magnitude of what we're really looking at, what does it mean to fulfill the Great Commission? Thank you so much for your time. You guys are awesome. Please uh, sign up on our, we have a little calendar over there. Sign up to have lunch with us, coffee, dinner. I don't care. I'll buy you lunch. We want to get to know each and every one of you and just get to know you personally. We have two to three weeks left in the state before we're out of here for Indonesia. We'd love to have you guys get involved. Am I on now? I love that. I just love that. I love their hearts. I love um, what's going on, what they're doing, what they're preparing to do. And I love the opportunity that we have um, as a church family to get behind them and to say we are, we are with you and we are behind you and, and we mean it. So uh, if you're interested in that, if you feel tugged at that, um, like God is like poking at you, then turn that in. Kyle and Emily would love to talk with you. And you can, you can feel the passion in their voice, right? Um, here's something that I learned in student ministry. We judge too quickly. Uh, we judge each other. We judge different cultures. Uh, one of the things that I've appreciated about Kyle and Emily as they go over is they have made it very clear that they're not just going to go over and say, hey, we have this to give to you. Uh, that's not their first step. Their first step is to go over and say, we want to learn who you are. We want to learn who you are. We want to learn how you live. We're going to spend five years just learning your language so that we can have a conversation face-to-face. In the number of uh, student ministry mission trips that I've been on in the last 15 years, when we would get our group together and train them for the mission trip, um, every time we went, we did this training that we called learner-servant-storyteller. And you say, we are not going over to tell people how to live. We are not going to Mexico. We are not going to Africa. We are not going to Haiti. We are not, we're not going anywhere to tell people how to live. That's not our first job. Our first job is to go over and be learners. Because we're very quick to judge. We're very quick to see something that's different and call it wrong. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. The Bible is pretty clear on some things that there is right and there is wrong. But way more often than not, we see different and we say, oh, that's weird to me. That must be wrong. So looking at something from a different perspective is helpful. I have a picture of an example of this. Uh, uh, Is this guy looking at you and staring you down or is he looking off to the right? Yes. Yes. Yes is the correct answer, right? But... If you look at it and you make a quick judgment, you think you've seen everything about the picture, and then you go, whoa, 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 let me look again. And something different that you hadn't yet seen pops out. Here's another picture. Who do you see in the picture? And some of you guys might see a young lady. Some of you guys might see an old lady. And some of you guys might see this cool Scottish dude. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? Okay, so young lady, let me, young lady is right here. This is her eye and eyelash, and she's looking off to the right, and her chin right here. Can you see her? And then the old lady, let me, 
she's got two eyes, and she's got kind of a big schnoz right there. And she's kind of looking down, and this is her shoulder. And Can you see her? And then the Scottish dude with a really nice mustache. Everybody sees him? Okay. So when you look right away, you say, oh, I see it. And if you take a little bit of time to slow down, you say, oh, there's more there than I ever, I ever expected to see. So we train our kids to say, be learners. You go and learn as much as you can. If you're going into a different culture, soak up as much as you can and build relationships. And after you have uh, focused on learning, then focus on serving. I see a need and I can help. I see a need and I can help. I care about you. I want to learn about you. I care about you and I'm offering you a help. We did a number of house building trips where we'd build a family a house and throughout the course of the week, we'd learn who the family was. We'd build them a home and then at the end of the week or throughout the week as it went, we had the opportunity to be storytellers with the best story in the whole world, a true story, a story about uh, Kyle and Emily going over and say, I want to tell you the creator story. I want to tell you about the God who loves you, who's crazy about you, who did everything he could to remove boundaries, to, move, to remove the obstacles that would keep you from him. Let me tell you this story. I don't want to shove it down your throat. I care about you and I love you and I need to tell you this story. So we train kids to be learners and servants and storytellers because it helps us in our rush to judgment. Part of why I love adventure eating is because I want to always keep in mind that the world is bigger than my little corner. So I'll go to a Mexican restaurant with Tony and I'll order stomach tacos. Oh, somebody just gagged. Because I want, like, hey, if people eat it in their culture, like, I I want to experience that. I want to learn about that. I'm not really into, like, the freak shows, the reality shows that are like, yeah, we're going to put this on. I guess you can eat it. Nobody really does. But here, go dare. I'm not into that. But if if people would really eat it, then I want to try it at least once. And I have found so few foods that if you really go into it open-minded that are bad. I mean, some of them are not good, but some of them are just not good, and they're wrong. Like, the right and wrong, this is, nobody should eat that, okay? But, but I love that. Here's another example of being different but not wrong. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the difference. Um, this, this helped me so much in my understanding to take a look at the difference between hot climate cultures and cold climate cultures. So if you look around the world, it's pretty clear Uh, There are some people who live in a hot climate culture and some people like us who live in a colder climate culture. They're they're different in how they work. So, um, And you can even tell this in the United States, the differences between southern hospitality and northern curmudgeons. I don't know what we are, okay? But if you walk into a business meeting in the south and you sit down at the table and you shake hands and you say, let's get to business, they're they're not going to trust you. Why not? Because you didn't ask about their family. You didn't say, how's your week gone? How's your wife? How are your kids doing? If you walk into a business meeting in the north and you sit down at the table with a complete stranger and you say, how's your wife? Like, um, I'm not sure I'm going to trust you in this relationship. Can we just get to business? Right? So which one's right and which one's wrong? Yes. It depends on where you are. Okay? 
So pay attention to culture, pay attention to differences, and be learners. This is what James uh, talks about this week. This is what we get to dive into. So would you stand with me as we read scripture, as we jump into James? We're going to read from James 4, verses 11 and 12. And I'll read it. This is what James writes. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray and then you can have a seat. Father, I pray that you would um, open us up to your word. Open us up to what you have to say. I pray that you would um, make us humble people who recognize that we are broken in all kinds of ways. I pray that you'd make us people who would be um, open to hearing from you and intent on loving others. Help us pay attention. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're in this series called Faith Does, and we're quickly coming toward the end of the book of James. The book of James is all about how do I follow Jesus? I've heard that my life can be changed by Jesus. I've prayed. I want, I want to accept Jesus into my life. I, I know that he can change me from the inside out. But how do I do that? James is like, I'll tell you how. Um, this is what it looks like. And now it's important for us to keep in mind that James isn't just about uh, heaping on a checklist. Like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be good with God. James is much more about when Jesus changes you. Something inside changes, and it starts, it starts to move to the outside. So that if your heart is changed by Christ, if it comes to life in Christ, your, your life starts to show it. And he says, if you, if you think that you can claim to pray a prayer and be done, you are sadly mistaken. If you think that life is about, yeah, I, one time when I was five, I prayed, but Jesus really isn't in my life. He said, you're, you're kidding yourself. You're lying to yourself. He says, if you show me a person who says they have faith in Christ, what I expect to see is it working out in their life. And what James is getting here to today is the way that we talk to each other. Now, this is not a new theme in James. James throughout is about how do we love God and how do we treat people? How do we love God and how do we treat people? And he'll do it again today. Over and over and over, he's gone back to what Jesus has called the great commandment. When Jesus says, when he's being questioned, what's the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? Jesus says, love God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's not like the first and second commandment. They hold hands. They are equally important so that you can't love God and not love your neighbor. That's not good. That's not the heart that God is after. But you can't love your neighbor if you're not loving God. Jesus says these are inseparable. And James over and over and over says this is the royal law. This is the law that you need to follow. To love God and to love people. Uh, I loved it a couple of weeks ago. When Tony was up here. um, Sort of humbling himself before the church. 
to say that he doesn't have it all put together. And, and part of what I loved about that is that he had people, and a person specifically, who saw him doing something that they perceived to be wrong, and they went to him, they cared about him, and they said, hey, you, you might need to check yourself. Like, I don't know what's going on, but there's this. Was that person judging Tony? No, in the, in, the way that you, in the way that Tony talked, that was life-giving to Tony. When he recognized what they were saying was true, when he repented, when he turned around, it actually increased his life, right? It increased his relationship with that person. It, it closened his relationship with God. So um, far be it that that person was judging Tony, we would say that person was loving Tony well, Right? That person was stepping up as a sister and saying, hey, you're my brother. I care about you. You can't keep doing this. This is not good. So what we want to talk about today is what is this difference? What is the difference when James says, don't judge? We sometimes interpret that as, don't you dare tell anybody that what they're doing is wrong, right? But then we have this Tony example that says somebody came to him and said, what you're doing is wrong, but, they, but it wasn't judging. So how, this, is, this is a conflict. This is, to me, this, is, this has the opportunity to say the Bible conflicts with itself. Because in some places, we're told um, you need to judge for yourselves. And you need to actually remove this person from the church. And in other places, like here, James says, and Paul says in other places, and Jesus even says, don't judge or you'll be judged. You're going to be judged in the same way that you judge. So how in the world do we make friends? Because the Bible is consistent. How do we make friends between these two different seemingly warring perspectives? Do we judge or do we not? Do we say anything? Do we point it out or do we not? What is behind this? That's what we're going to get at today. What I want to do is just kind of walk through walk through these two verses that are so full and say, here's, here's what's going on and then how, how can we apply that to our life, okay? So in verse 11, uh, the first part, James says, do not speak evil one, against one another, brothers. And what he's saying, I think, is that we have a tendency when we see somebody doing something wrong or different or something that we don't like, it is so common for us to go to our friends and go to the people that we are comfortable with and start having conversations. And James says, you are speaking evil. Some translations uh, say, don't slander one another. And slander is speaking what is not true. In this, when James says, don't speak evil, he says, I don't care if it's true or not. If you see somebody doing something and you go and you tell your friends, I can't believe it. You're speaking evil because you're not showing any care. You don't actually care. If you could instead be like Tony's friend who said, hey, I'm not going to go tell everybody about this. I'm not going to go like uh, rant against you. I'm going to come right to you. I'm going to point it out to you. That's much, much, much harder to do. I, I admire the courage that it took for a person to go to Tony because he's kind of a big dude. And if he looks down on you, like, um, I just wanted to say I like you and you're a cool guy and see you later. Okay? 
that person actually had the guts to look up to Tony and say, as your friend, I need to say something. James says, don't speak evil against one another. Matthew 18 makes it very, very, very clear that if, you, if your brother is sinning, you go right to your brother. It's easy for us to talk. Why is it easy for us to talk? Because it's comfortable. Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And last week I stood a ladder up here, or stand, set up a ladder. And we said, there's a difference between living the life of the ladder and living the life of the cross. And I think when we start to speak evil about other people, it makes us feel better about ourselves. I'm better than them, and I start to climb the ladder. And I push people down under me. And that's so easy to do. That is the natural, worldly wisdom that James has been talking about. And instead, he says, I want you to live a different kind of life. One that you refuse to speak evil. And then he goes on, he said, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why you don't speak evil. In the second part of verse 11, he says, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. What's the law? The royal law that James keeps repeating over and over and over is the great commandment. You love God and you love people. He says if you speak evil, you're violating that law. If you speak evil, you're violating that law. And he says if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And so basically what uh, James is saying in all these words, I can get lost in it. What, what I think he's saying is, God gave you a very clear law. Love God and love people. That doesn't make you a wimp. That just makes you, your heart beats for others and you want, to, you want to breathe life into others. If you speak evil against others, what you're saying is, the law that God gave me, I don't have to follow that. I don't have to follow that because look what they're doing. And I'm going to point it out. Like, um, if you have kids and you pray before dinner and you pray and you say amen and your, one of your daughters says, she had her eyes open during the prayer. <laughs> and you're like, thank you. But that kind of misses the point, right? That's what James is getting at. Saying, you can't point somebody else, you can't judge somebody else, you can't speak evil against somebody else to point out their sin. Because in doing that, you're sinning. You're breaking the law. It's, it's just a bad situation to get set up in. He says, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. As if to say, I'm going to say which of the laws are important and which of the ones... I don't have to sit down under. So there's this kind of judging that's done without love. And this is what James is attacking. Because when I judge without love, I'm basically putting myself above what God has told me, how he's told me how to live. Have you done this? I've done this. I look at everybody else's sin. I say, their sin is bad bad people right what I love about Tony standing up here is he's saying my sin is bad my sin is bad and Jesus wouldn't have us not speak truth but he would have us never forget who we are 
and where we're coming from. Say, look, I'm not perfect. And I'm not going to sit as judge over you. James is going to get into that in a second. There's one judge. I can speak to you, but it's a speaking to you out of love. In verse 12, he says, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Because James says God alone is the ultimate judge. We had better not put ourselves in his role, forgetting that we ourselves are sinners. So there's the controversy. There's the controversy. Do we judge or do we not judge? Are we to be discerning and help people see stuff that we think, ah, uh, that's probably not good. That is, that's going against the way that God would have you live. Do we, are we, do, we do that? And, and if so, how do we do that? In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is writing to a church that has a huge sin problem. And he said, look, it's not mine to judge what's going on inside the church. But he says, he says, uh, you're supposed to judge the people who are inside your church. And God is going to judge the outside. And he actually says, expel the wicked man from among you. Well, uh, that doesn't seem consistent. But First John also tells us, like, don't just believe everything you hear. Test the spirits. Test the different teachings to say, do I judge this to be true or do I judge this to not be true? Over and over and over, we're told, be wise, be discerning. And yet, on the other hand, there are frequent commands to avoid judging. Like here in James, Matthew, uh, Matthew 7, Jesus says, in the same way you judged, man, you're going to get judged in the same way. Paul writes in Romans 2, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So I think we're clearly dealing with two different issues here. I think we're clearly dealing with two different issues. There is a command to avoid judging, and yet there's also a command to display judgment. Right? Pretty clear? (laughs) Sure it is. Sure. Let's try and work through it. We have to be careful. Because God calls us to love and to be discerning. And to fail, I think, to do either is to misstep. In God, we have both. In God, we see both. But James tells us that God is the one and only ultimate judge. The day, the day we die, we stand before him. And he will judge us. He will judge us. And he will judge us appropriately. And he will judge us uh, not to be mean or not as an, a big egotistical heavenly giant, but he will judge us as a perfect being saying, I'm going to look at who you are and you fell short of the mark. He will be right when he says you are guilty. And we're also told in First John, well, God is judge. God is love. And this is not a fluffy, cheap kind of love. This is a love that costs so how do those two go together? Doesn't judgment nullify love and vice versa? Can you love and can you judge together? 
Yes. If you want to see a perfect combination of judgment and love happening simultaneously, you look at the cross. You look at the cross. When Jesus says, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, this is what it's going to take. Because on the cross, Jesus received our judgment. The judgment that is coming for us to say, you are guilty, you are not living the life that God created you to live. You have stepped so far out of bounds that you don't even recognize God and you're running from Him. You are guilty. And that applies to every single one of us. Jesus said they are. And I'll take their punishment. Where love and judgment meet is on the cross. And you need to know, you need to know that while you are guilty, Christ dies for you. While you are, while you deserve judgment, Jesus lays down his life for you. If you don't know that, that is a message that can change everything. That can change everything. Everything that you are a slave to your own sin, and Jesus came to set you free, not just to wipe away your sin and say, Well, let's pretend it's not there, but to put it on his shoulders. Say, I don't want you to bear the penalty, I'll take it for you. And now he stands between us and the judge, so that on our last day, when we stand before God, we have Jesus between us and the Father, between us and the judge, and Jesus saying, You look at them. But you look through me and what I did for them. And the judge looks at us differently. And he says, you're innocent. You're now innocent because of what Jesus did for you. And because you have received that, you now stand innocent. My job as your brother is to let you know that without Jesus... You stand condemned. Without Jesus, you are headed toward judgment. I'm not going to judge you. I have no right to judge you. But you are walking toward the judge. Every step you take in life, you get closer to the end of your life. Every minute that goes by, you get closer to the end. Every day that goes by, you get closer to the time when you stand in front of the judge. And my job is to tell you that without Jesus, you will not like that judgment. That he will judge you harshly and appropriately and rightly. But he's also done everything so that you can stand innocent. Is it judging if I tell you that? Is it me judging you if I tell you that without Jesus, you are sunk? What is the difference between judging somebody and caring about somebody? It's in the question. Do you care about that person? James starts it off by saying, don't speak evil, because in speaking evil, you're obviously not caring about that person. You can see their sin for what it is, or their differences that you call sin. You don't wear a tie to church. I can't believe you. They don't respect God. Okay? Well... That's not how we do it here. I just, I just went to the conference with a whole bunch of pastors. And I wore this. And some of them look really nice. Okay, But we're all coming from different perspectives. Not a single pastor looked at me and was like, What's up, scruff? Okay. Don't you respect God? 
Like, because I think they're wise. They understand this is a difference thing. Even if they have strong convictions about dressing up for church, they understand that's not mine to judge. And and I don't even know Shannon. (laughs) I don't care about him. So I'm not going to say anything. Okay? If you care about somebody, then you can lean into their life. Something changes in your approach when you care. Something changes in your approach when you love. When you see them for who they are and you care about them for who they are, you will act differently. Tony wasn't being judged because she cared. Because it was done in a way that honored the relationship. Because she didn't go around mocking Tony to everybody else. She didn't come at him arrogantly. She didn't come at him calling him names. She came. She confronted him. But she loved him. I just have to say this. The political season is such a perfect example of name calling and speaking evil against one another. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to make a statement beyond that. But just to say, we cannot get wrapped up in that. If you're, if you're very politically inclined and you follow Jesus... You have to figure out a way to live out your political convictions without breaking the law that Jesus said. You are not in a position to name call. You are not in a position to disparage. If you want to attack their ideas and say, I think their ideas are all wrong for our country, then you are blessed to do that. Our nation is wonderful in that it gives us a voice. But you better not disobey Jesus and make politics your God. Okay? Right? Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or you don't even know what those words mean. (laughs) We are not free to speak evil. Jesus calls us to love. So are you more inclined, just quick questions as we wrap up, are you more inclined to judge harshly or to avoid conflict? Because we want, to, we want to be able to lean into each other's lives, right? But we don't want to be jerks. So are, are you, the way that you're wired, are you like, man, I just say it how it is. I just speak the truth. Okay, well, then maybe you need some softening courses. Maybe you need to start caring about people more. So are you, the way that you're wired, more inclined to uh, judge or to avoid? Which one of those are you? Who are you most likely to judge? Probably not people like you. Right? We really quickly judge people who are different from us. That's just how we're wired. So, but who is it for you? Because I think until we start to identify this and face into it, we don't have a clue that we're actually judging. Start to think about it. Who it is for you that you judge harshly in your mind or even speak about with other people. And when you can identify them, then you ask the question, what what would change if I started to care about them? What would change if I started to look at those people as Jesus looks at those people? What would change if I started to actually have a heart for those people? It doesn't mean that I may still come and confront them. But I certainly won't speak evil. When tempted to judge, we need to slow down. Is it really wrong? 
Or is it just a matter of preference? Is the guy staring at you or is he looking off to your right? We need to slow down. Let's close looking back on the book of James. James has already talked about how we treat others. It's his theme. And he says in James 2, 12 and 13, So speak and so act as those who are to, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We are in a good position when we recognize that we have all sinned and we will all stand before God and that through Jesus we can be forgiven. Talk about the parable of the unmerciful servant, unmerciful servant where he's forgiven and then he goes and he wrings the other guy's neck. And Jesus says, if you've been forgiven much, you forgive much. If you've received mercy over judgment, then you give mercy over judgment. Stop using your words to hurt. Start to speak life. Let's pray. Father, would you make us people who care about you? Would you make us people who recognize that we are lost without you? That we stand condemned without you? That we are rightly to be judged without what you did for us? Would you help us to be people who humble ourselves before you, Jesus, and receive what only you could give and what only you gave? Jesus, thank you for standing between us and our judge. Thank you for standing between us and condemnation that because of what you did that we can turn that we can have life would you make us into the kind of people that offer that kind of life to others would you remind us that we are not the judge that you are the judge would you make us care about people would you make us courageous enough to speak into one another's lives but but that we would do it with a heart for people with a heart for them in a way that builds the relationship between us and between you. Would you make us those kind of people? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.